You all right? My name's Paul, I've got autism, and I make random videos based on my version of autism, the way my head works, and I stick the videos on the internet just in case you fancy giving them a watch. And I hope you're doing all right. So, couple of things. First thing, yes, I've shaved my hair off. Um, I was getting tired of seeing my balding spot at the back of my head when the cameras around the house would pick me up when I was in the garden with motion alerts. Um, and it just got me on a bad day. So I came in, shaved it off, feel much better for it. So I'm kind of looking the same way as I did when I first started the channel, but with a podgier face. Second thing, I've received an email from a delightful chap who basically told me they'd found my channel and within five seconds needed to turn it off because I say, you all right? My name's Paul. I've got autism. So they told me how I needed to educate myself because I haven't got autism. I was born with autism and autism is a lifelong developmental condition and blah, blah, with more blah attached to it. So listen, if that upsets you, you're going to get upset a lot in life because you're catching the smallest little thing to get offended by it. Don't worry about the little things. They'll pass. They will always pass. And the one thing I don't need to do is educate myself on my autism, my individual difference. So if I say I've got autism, I have autism, I am autistic, autism is me, whatever way around you want to say it, you can't separate it. It's always going to be there. But how I refer to it, I don't even think about it because I don't care. Because there is no separation. I'm autistic. It's why I do this channel. I'm an adult with autism. I'm an autistic adult. It doesn't matter to me because I'm allowed that too. Just because I won't follow narratives, I won't follow what everybody else wants me to follow, it doesn't make me wrong. It just means you haven't got capacity to accept other people are allowed to think for themselves, which doesn't make you a good person, especially when I'm not doing anything harmful, detrimental or damaging or disrespectful to anyone or anything for any reason. So if you have a problem with the way I refer to it, that's for you to deal with, not for me to change. Okay, done. Anyway, I want to have a chat about um, a lot of stuff, to be honest, but I haven't got much time. <laughs> um, so what I'll do, my friends, is just talk about the topic I want to talk about, which is working from home when you're autistic, when you have autism, when you've got autism. Anyway, I've got to get over that. But <clears throat> the reason I want to talk about it is because when COVID had finished or died down or whatever term you want to use for it, when they stopped with the monstrous scare tactics, people then wanted employees to go back to offices. And then you had Elon Musk and he bought Twitter and he's meant to be autistic. And it was like, he wanted all his employees back in the offices. And you had this buffoon of a human called Jacob Rees-Mogg. And for those who are not familiar with him and you're not in England, he is the stereotypical English toff. 
you know, where they've just had a privileged lifestyle, they live in a protected little bubble, they speak very posh, and they're just so blinkered to what goes on in the outside world. And he was going into offices complaining that people weren't there. And it was like, oh, well, how are people working if they're not in an office? And then you had the likes of Alan Sugar, you know, the if you ever watched The Apprentice, that's the guy, you know, the one in England anyway. And he was basically saying, if you want to work from home, I'll tell you what, you can stay at home and I'll sack you because there's no job for you. You won't work, you're lazy, you're just pretending to work. And when I'm watching these people and listening to these people, I'm thinking, you've got no idea what it's like when you're an autistic employee. Because what you will find is that the job itself is not the thing we struggle to do. That might come as a surprise to some non-autistic employers, but it isn't the job we struggle with. The job is the thing we don't struggle with because we have a job description. We have certain hours that we have to do the job within. We have directive, if we've got good bosses, of course. You know, we've got directive, we've got an agenda, we know what we're doing, we know when we've got to do it, we know what we need to do, and we crack on. The job isn't the difficult bit. The difficult bit is going to work. And they're the things I want to try and sort of just put meat on the bones, um, you know, just in case there might be that employer out there who might be interested in why autistic employees prefer working from home. And I can only talk about me. I can only talk from my perspective, my, my little corner of uh, autism. Can't speak for everyone, but working from home is the best. It is because I've, I've worked a hybrid role where I've been home-based for near on 15 years across four companies because it clearly works for me. You know, I've worked jobs where you have to go to work every day. And I always found that there was about four, maybe five reasons why I didn't want to work there anymore. And every single one of the reasons was not because of the job. The job I can do, but it was the rest of it. So I want to try and explain it again from my perspective and let you know why I struggled, you know. So the commute, the commute isn't fun. You know, so when I look back to when I was, before I had a car and I would get public transport, you know, this is the days before I knew I had autism and I didn't know I had sensory issues. I just knew I hated the smell of a lot of things. I could never understand why people could just like, you know, I'm not, I'm not dissing it, but you know, the aftershave dupe. I don't know if they still make it, but I used to work with a guy who I'm pretty sure he used to have a bath in it. It stunk. That smell just used to live on people, and it was so strong. I couldn't deal with that man. It was horrid. Um, but I've just got I've just got a sensory trigger. If you were to line all the senses up and you were to say, Paul, what are you most triggered by? It'd be smell, a hundred percent. It can bring back and recall a memory like no tomorrow. You know, I can I can smell. Uh, is it the creosote that you do on fencing? I smell that. It puts me walking down a road called uh, Portway and it puts me outside this house on Harrop Avenue from when I was a kid 
where someone was painting it and it was the first time I ever smelt that smell that I, I remembered. I instantly go back to it. It's a summer's day. I'm walking down towards the shops with my mum. It is such a recall and it's such a set off. But I never knew. I never knew it was anything to do with autism for me. And the thing with the smell is in the mornings when I was getting the, the public transport, I used to hate the smell of the bus. The bus would stink all the time. Always has this heater smell and you could hear it going and the back of the bus was always rattling and it was gross. And then there's people at the bus stop and they are freshly washed. So there's this smell of wash on them. They would have spray or gel in the hair, you know, because this is the early 2000s, um, <laughs> especially when guys used to just have this gel dripping off the hair. Um, they'd be caked in deodorants, aftershaves, perfumes, body sprays. Then the smoking at the bus stop because it's like, oh, I'm not going to be able to have a cigarette for an hour while I'm on the bus. So there was all these smells from all these people all mixed together. I'm getting on a bus. I'm smelling everyone in a confined space. It used to just make my head spin. And then I would, you know, get to where I was going and I'd be stressed out because of this, all this sensory, you know, messing around. And then these people at the bus stop trying to make you, I don't know, sign up to things and just so busy and people banging into you and not getting out of your way because everyone's more important than you are, you know. And then when I got a car, it didn't change. It didn't alleviate it because then I'm still stuck in traffic. I've got to refuel a car. And then there's all the little triggers down that route of every time I pull up at a fuel station, there's like three or four cars in front and it takes you 10 minutes to get there. And you get out the car, you go to get the pump and there's no gloves left. Uh, so I always keep gloves in the driver's well of the car because I'd rather do that than have to touch the pumps because they stink. And I don't want that smell on my hands as I'm driving either. Um, you know, so I hate refueling and then there's just people on the road, the way they drive, like there's a road near me and it's always jam packed with cars. And it's because people drive past them in the lane they're not meant to be in and then try and cut in at the last minute. And what these dense people don't understand is the only reason we're all stopped is because of people like that. You know, the infrastructure is not the best guaranteed. It's not the best but we wouldn't have this bottleneck because you shouldn't be in that lane unless you're not going the direction I'm going. And I'm just sat there every single time, like half a mile away from the junction, going slow because I'm not going to be part of the problem. And I just think, and you see the cars flying past and you just think, it's you. You're the reason we're slowed down. How can you not? Why are you more important? Ah, oh, the selfishness of people. And then you get where you need to go to get to an office and city centre offices don't have car parks nine times out of ten. So then you've got to find somewhere to park your car and that costs you like £10 a day. And you're like, why am I paying to come to work? It makes no sense. Uh, yeah, so you just, what, what I'm getting at is sensory overloads annoyances over things that don't need to happen, the existential world of acceptable failure. And then you walk through the door and you're already stressed, you're already burnt out, you're already tired, you just want to sit down. And you've not even started your work day yet. 
if you work from home, you miss all that. I can roll out of bed at 8.55 and be in a meeting for 9 a.m. Still the same guy. You know, I don't know what the problem is. The fact that I've not been awake for five minutes. I can still say and do the same things. It just means I didn't have to get stuck in traffic and lose two hours of a morning. I didn't need to lose because I have to then repeat that on the way home. And that's not good. So just getting to and from a workplace causes a lot of stress for autistic people. And I know it causes stress for other people, but when we've got the sensory issues built into it, it's not just a case of things are busy, you know? It's a case of the scent as well. Like that, The scent is the trigger for me, like I've said. Um, so then your workday starts. And then what have you got? You can't just focus on work. You have small talk, you know? So say it's a Monday morning and you come in and it's like, morning, Paul, how was your weekend? I've always got the same responses. It was low key. I stayed off the map. I just relaxed this weekend. And then you've got to say, how was your week? I don't know, I keep playing with my nose, but I shaved my nostrils <laughs> not long before doing this. And they always so so irritating once I've done it. But if I don't do it, it looks like I've got spiders trying to escape. Um, but yeah, then people want to know what you got up to on the weekend. And I always keep it, like I say, low key, relaxed. I just switched off the map because I can't say, you know, because I have to do this all week. I'm that burnt out and I've got nothing left that I have to pray to the heavens that I can, you know, hide away from the world and have enough interest to come back and do this again. Can't say that because it seems rude. You know, everything you say and do is rude, apparently, when you're talking about your self-preservation, which shouldn't be the case. I just can't do that. I just can't do that small talk. I can't do that camaraderie, that team building camaraderie. I was talking to my boss uh, yesterday. It's a Saturday as I film this. Um, and we were talking about a team building day and I went, I'd rather just go and paint like a care home or something. Because that way we're with everyone, but that's still a solo task, isn't it? You know, you, I'm busy, I'm painting this wall. Gets me away from it. And he's like, I actually like that idea. I think we all should get together and just blitz a floor, you know, go and freshen somewhere up. Like, count me in then. I'd rather do that than the stupid things where you've got to, you know, get from one side of a room to the other using buckets and or make a bridge using bamboo sticks. And then, ah, no, stop it. So silly. It's so fake. I hate all that sort of stuff. But just that small talk, honestly, you know, I'd, it, and, and the small talk spreads through the day. It's not just a case of, hello, how are you? It's people at, say, lunchtime, you know, they want to get together and they're like, I'm just nipping to, or they'll say, I'm just nipping to the shops. Does anybody want anything? And I'll, I might fancy, a, you know, like a, a Pepsi or something. And it'll be like, I can't just go. Yeah, could you get me a Pepsi, please? I'll give you the money. Because they go, no, it's all right. You just get it next time. No, because I'd have to remember. And I don't want to remember. I don't want to keep a running tally of eight different people and who bought what and who owes what to who. No. So in, in my head, I just go, no, it's all right. I'm all right, thank you. And then people go to the shop, do the thing. And after about half an hour, I just get up and walk off as if I'm taking my break, but then I go to the shop and I get my Pepsi just to avoid that, you know? You know, and when it comes to the breaks and things like that, I don't want to sit with everyone. I don't want to sit down and talk about 
work. You know, I'm having my break. This is the time I don't get paid. So now I, I just want to relax and I'm not a big fan of eating in front of people either. And people do, they like to join together. And I, if I just took myself off and went and sat on another table and wasn't sat with the people who I work with, it'd be like, what's up with Paul? Why, why is he sat by himself? Well, I don't know. So then you start to look like you're a bit of an outcast anyway. You're not part of the team and you don't want to take part of the team. And because you don't do small talk, you haven't got an interest in your team and their lives. And we all should be one big happy family. No, that's the part they get wrong because that none of that has anything to do with work. But if some, if, if the person who looked after Cornwall phoned me on Monday and said, Hiya, Paul. It's really busy down here. I could really do with a hand. Are you free? I'd be there. And I'd be there until the work was finished. And I would help them as much as I possibly could. Because that's the work bit. And that's the bit I'm bothered about. That's the bit I want to do well. But I don't need to be your best friend to come and help you. You are in the same team as me. But I don't need to consistently spin a morality plate where we're keeping all the good moods up and making sure everyone's all right and taking an investment in your personal life. It is allowed to split and be separate and for it not to be detrimental. But people don't understand that. And that is a huge part of a workplace is this general chit chat. And I struggle with it because I'm a social. I get nothing out of socializing. All I care about is that you're okay. That is it. Outside of that, I'm not really that interested. So long as you're happy, healthy, you're not being rude, disrespectful, non-consensual, and you're staying legal, that's all I want for everyone. The world would be a better place. But if you need my help, personally or professionally, I am then going to take an interest because I don't want people to not be okay. I just can't do the small talk, yet I suffer for it. You know, there's, there's so much and, you know, I, I could talk about clothing as well. Like in a workplace, you have to dress a certain way. Whereas at home, I can be in sweatpants. I can be in pajama bottoms. I can get away wearing this top when I'm in a team's meeting because it's not, I mean, I know it looks like underlay for a carpet, but it's not the most threatening top. It's not a sports top. It's not a pajama top. And nobody can see what's on the bottom part of me. I could I could have no clothes on as I do this from the waist down. You'd have no idea. So it's the same when I do a team meeting, but I feel more like me in my clothes. If I feel more like me, I feel more relaxed. If I feel like me, I feel more productive. Take that away. Take me out of my home. Stick me in bad traffic. Throw me in an office. Put me around people I'm forced to interact with outside of my job role. You're taking my identity away. You're taking me away and you're just adding stress onto me instead. And then I just don't feel like me, which means I don't feel great, which means I don't feel interested in doing the work. And the work is the thing that suffers for everything that's not work. You know, wearing a suit. I can do the job and the job, my brain knows how to do it. And my brain doesn't wear a suit, so why do I have to wear one? You know, and I know we can, under reasonable adjustments, get some uh, reasonable adjustment on what we wear. But what I don't want to do is constantly be that person pulling on my boss's coat going, can we change this? Can I add that? Can I talk about this? Can I change this? Can I not wear that? Can I do this? I just don't want to be that guy where autism is just seen as something which I'm constantly trying to tweak in a workplace. I want it to be seen as 
I'm really glad you did that, Paul. You know, that fixation you had that got us across the line, that must be your autism that did it because I haven't got that type of interest. I want it to be the positive, not the problem. But the biggest problem in a workplace is workplace politics. I can't do it. I don't do politics in, in everyday life because it clearly doesn't work. You know, look around the world. The world is fighting with itself. Or because we disagree with something someone's doing. Or, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't do politics. And uh, I don't do workplace politics because workplace politics to me is we've got something that's broken and it's, it doesn't work. But what we're not allowed to do when we go in the meeting to talk about repairing it is actually talk about the real reason that it's broke. Oh, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, I know, but we just can't talk about it. And that, that, that blows my mind. You should be able to, sp I care about what I do. And I've got no interest in offending anybody. But if something's broken and that person gets, the person who created it gets offended because I've got a better way of doing it, I'm not the problem. The person who takes offense is because I'm not saying you're rubbish, let's get rid of you and your systems and let's do everything I want to do. I'm saying if it takes six hours to do it your way and my way takes three hours and you retain your accuracy, what we won't be doing is quantitative work. We'll be doing quality work because we can stay where we are for the six hours, but we can spend three of them hours helping people. And I've just, I'm on my third employer in four or five years. And the last couple of places I've left is because of the workplace politics. Because I can't wrap my head around why we carry on doing broken things. I can't wrap my head around why people will be promoted because they're a friend of the boss. Like, I don't care if they're a friend of the boss, so long as they can do the job. I don't care at all. They can be best friends. They could have been each other's best mans at weddings. I don't care so long as they're efficient and they do their job well. So hopefully you're understanding that what I'm saying is I'm interested in my job. But yet you look at the statistics the government collect about autistic people and sick days and how many autistic people don't last more than eight weeks in a workplace. Because we're just picked up and dropped straight into a workplace that is so different from our design. But when we are unwell and we've been off on long-term sick, we get reintroduced, or we should be being reintroduced to work. Anyone should, on a phased return. Why aren't we having a phased introduction to work? I just think it's a shame that I'm so interested in doing the right thing. I'm so interested in making things better because I'm focused on my job but it's everything else around it that stops me doing my job as efficiently as I want. That's a shame. It's wrong, you know, but the real, the sort of, I think the best way I've, I've, I've thought about it for me is when people have a bad day, they can just break away from a computer, for example, go and make a cup of tea and they just restart you know it's like that was stressful i'm gonna have a cup of tea and then i'll go back to it you know because i've had that five minute break and things are all right whereas we rebuild you know we do what we can until it until the wheels fall off and then we've got to brush everything away and we've got to redo it little by little rebuilding it better in its image that it was 
so others get to restart, whereas we need to rebuild. That takes longer. And the more things that surround us, the more things that it affects the rebuild. Workplace politics, small talk, the clothes, the travel. And I just find it a shame. I just wish there was an easier platform to raise this with employers and go, look, I can do all my work from home. I get you can't work from McDonald's from home. I understand that. But I can do my job from home. You know, people who work in IT can do their job from home. People who work on phone lines can work from home. You don't have to be somewhere if it's not the purpose of the building. And you just get that mistrust like you're not doing your job. It's obvious if I don't do my job. Obvious. But it's tough because, I, like I said, I just feel more for that side of it where it's about the statistical side, the thing that stops autistic people getting into work because there's such a personal achievement to get by working and achieving something in work. And you're like, I did that. I did that. But to get that feeling, you've got to do all the silly little things that aren't really relevant. But for other people, they're, they're serious things and you should do them. You know, but what I think people don't understand is like if we were to take like when I have a meeting, like I said, I've got pajama pants on, I've got this type of top on, I'm comfortable. But it's not just the meeting that's the problem. Like if I'm in an office, I've got to get to the meeting. So I'm going to the meeting room. Then I'm talking to people in this small talk environment until the meeting starts. The meeting part's fine, but then the meeting ends. And then we've all got to separate and go our separate ways. And people will be going, are you coming to the shops or are you coming here with us? Or are you coming into this room so we can carry on talking about it? It's like, oh, no, I just, I really need that. That's like when I'm at home, I just press leave and I'm gone. I am anywhere and everywhere. And I can get up from my desk, breathe out, go in the back garden, throw the ball for the dog a couple of times. And just, you know, sort of breathe out and lose the tension of having to be in a meeting. Whereas I don't get that escape when I'm actually, you know, with everyone. That is really big for me to be able to just join the meeting like that and to leave the meeting like that. As if I can just appear and reappear and disappear. I like that. That helps because it doesn't change the meeting by any, by any imagination at all. But I still achieve what I need, but then all the fluff is gone. The small talk, the politic, what, what I'm dressed in, what I'm not dressed in, it is just instantly gone. It's so much better for me, you know, and the, the travel, I think this is the important one for me, the traveling to and from work, getting stressed on the way there, on the way back. That's ultimately four hours of my day, my personal day and my life that I'm dedicating to stress, to get to work, to come home from work. I'm dedicating my travel time to stress. That's not fair. That's not nice because other people are more self-righteous and more important than I am. So that's what makes it so difficult because they've got to get where they want. They don't care about you. That's where all the traffic comes from. It, it's just hard. So if I can work from home, I miss four hours of stress, which gives me, if I want it, four hours of me time back, which helps me with my recharge. And if I can recharge, I'm going to be more effective 
in a workplace. Working from home allows that. Why would you not want your workers to not get stressed? And the problem with stress at work, those policies nine times out of 10 focus on the stress that's caused by your work. But this is stress caused getting to work. So they're not overly invested in that idea. But the reason it's important if you can work from home is because it's the difference between a sick day and actually being in work. Because if I had to get stuck in that traffic, when I'm burning out, when I'm melting down, when I'm shutting off, when I've had too much, when too much has been happening, I would just be dropping my boss a message going, I cannot come in today because I can't deal with that traffic. I can't listen to someone talk about the grandkids. I can't deal with this bringing in birthday cakes when it's not, you know, when it's your birthday and all that stuff that's not relevant. But if I'm at home, I can get on with it. I can still do it. I can still get paid. I can still be productive, but I can still, you know, hide what's bothering me because I'm not in people's faces. So as much as the people, Alan Sugar, Elon Musk, Jacob Rees-Mogg have a problem with people working from home, maybe see where the benefit is for some people to work from home. Anyway, I'm going to go. So I hope it made sense. Thanks very much for watching. And until next time, keep smiling.